0: here on our perch at the far end of the bar. He's Ben. He's Richard. And you were just about to take a mouthful of drink then, weren't you? Yeah. We'll we'll come to your drink in a little while. First of all, can I dangle the word boondoggle in front of you? Boondoggle. Isn't that something? There are certain Mm. words that have always held a fascination for me. Mm. Not necessarily because they mean anything special, but because they just taste so lovely in your mouth.
1: Is this boon or boom-doggle? Boon. Boon. Boon-doggle. Boon-doggle.
0: a In French, boon-doggle. Boon-doggle. I don't know what that was.
1: <laughs> that
0: was parrot, wasn't it? I flew it in parrot. Um, if I may reach for the Oxford Dictionary of American Political Slang, mm. which I always keep close, yeah. um, it defines boon-doggle... As an extravagant and useless project, mm. that's good for what? us, isn't it? They must use it very rarely. It, it was one of the words. <laughs> it was one of the words that we we um, decided not to go with as the title of this podcast.
1: Although I'm having second thoughts. <laughs> actually, the <laughs> far end of the bar or boondoggle. Yeah, and what it means is perfect for the podcast, There's isn't before. it? Just.
0: Um, <laughs> It's, it, it's There's actual history behind this, though. During the late 1920s, early 1930s, Boy Scouts, dib, dib, dib. Oh, sorry, Mike. Dib, 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 dob, dob, dob. R.R. Mm-hmm. Kayla's in the... No, that's not politically correct anymore, is it? No. You went a bit Frankie Howard for a second there as well. Yes, I, I did. did. No, <laughs> Francis, no. Boy Scouts at summer camps spent their days not only swimming and playing games, but participating... In the latest scouting craze, in which boys braided and knotted colourful strands of plastic and leather to mm. fashion lanyards, neckchief slides, which we used to call a woggle, a and bracelets. Mm. According to the March 1930 issue of Scouting Magazine, remember this is the American Scouting Magazine, uh-huh. Eagle Scout Robert Link of Rochester, New York, coined the term for this new handicraft, boondoggling. He saw young scouts sitting cross-legged by the fire fashioning lanyards, neckties, and slides and bracelets out of strands of plastic and leather and said you boy, you're boondoggling. Mm, and you're a boondoggler. Well, that's what he said to the judge anyway.
1: Yeah. The,
0: um, the whole thing about uh, boondoggling um, came to a head during the Great Depression. A few Americans had heard of the of this practice until then. And then on April the fourth, nineteen thirty-five, when the New York Times reported that investigating city aldermen had discovered that the Federal Works Progress Administration had spent more than three million dollars on training for unemployed white-collar workers that included instruction in ballet dancing, mm-hmm. shadow puppetry. Yep. And making boondoggles. Okay. Hundreds of unemployed teachers who were paid $87 a month by the WPA received two hours of boondoggling instruction Mm. as part of their training to establish recreational programs that showed children in poorer neighborhoods how to transform old cigar boxes, tin cans and other discarded materials into useful gadgets and ornamental crafts. And this was criticised? This was criticised. Oh, yeah, heaven only knows why. These projects are not carried out on Fifth Avenue, insisted the WPA official <laughs> Grace Goslin, but in sections of the city where the children who are benefiting would otherwise be in the streets. Mm. If you're not in the streets, you're boondoggling. I mean, this just sounds like a genius idea to me. Republican but, uh... critics wouldn't agree. Oh, well, I mean... Uh... Republican critics took a great big bite out of President Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal, pouncing on the frivolous-sounding boondoggling activities as indicative of what they saw as the WPA's wasteful spending, Hmm. which included everything from operating a circus...
1: Yeah. How'd you kill a circus? (laughs) I did not know, Richard. How'd you kill a circus? Go for the juggler. Oh, God.
0: Everything from operating a circus to eurythmic dancing instruction... It's a pretty good word, Roosevelt admitted in a speech before adding, if we can boondoggle our way out of the Depression, that word is going to be enshrined in the hearts of Americans for many years to come. (laughs) Well, the word indeed became part of the American political lexicon, but not in the way Roosevelt had hoped. Mm. Ironically, an activity that was part of an effort to encourage children to reuse waste materials has become synonymous with waste itself.
1: It's, I, oh, and there is great irony, isn't there, in the Republicans being the ones that t- took against that word and criticised it, when surely one of the greatest boondoggling operations of our time has been, build that wall! <laughs> but did they make it? Did, did, did they,
0: If they'd got the Boy Scouts of America to braid it with leather and plastic, I'm sure it would have gone up a bit quicker. can i offer you a drink oh you've got one already i've well i mean all you've i've got, got is a some... cold one over there you no, i've got some water water there yeah. could be any, there could be anything in that glass mm. it's it could be paraffin for all i know <laughs> that's what i normally drink <laughs> on a thursday <laughs> <laughs> um tea
1: how much tea do you get get past your lips these days I reckon um, probably three to four cups a day. Oh, very Um, good. But just recently I've been mixing it up a bit. Oh. So I've been trying some of the matcha tea, green tea. Yeah. Very nice with a bit of ginseng in it. That's very lovely. That's supposed to be good for you, isn't it? uh, Yeah, very lovely. And I have a new colleague from India who has introduced me to chai tea. Um, which is very nice indeed. He makes it properly, the authentic way. He was brought up in India, moved over here a couple of years ago. In fact, he's going to set up his own business. Um, I don't think there is one doing this already. Selling authentic chai tea Mm. to the good people of Bristol. And try chai. Uh, I gave him the name. I'm on for 5% of the profits. Nice, nice.
0: I'll do the logo. Mm. We could clean up here. The poor man will make nothing. Uh, so, anyway, why, why do you ask about the well, tea? Well, there, there are 3,000 different types of tea. I only found that out today. And with Three that thousand. little piece of information, I thought I might explore tea. Because the flavours of teas, a bit like fine wines, depends on where they grow, as well as the type of bush. And, and the teas that you buy are all kinds of blends of different leaves. But here's the thing. Do you put the milk in first, or do you put the milk in last?
1: I put the tea bag in the mug, and as the second the kettle has boiled, I'm pouring that over the tea bag, mm-hmm. and then I'm leaving that to do its business for a couple of minutes. Yes. Before I add a bit of milk, a, more milk for for Sue, my wife. She has tea with her milk. Yes. I have milk with my tea, mm-hmm. and then in my cup, I add. A spoonful of honey. Oh, oh! you are part B. I
0: didn't know that you were. (laughs) Well, there we are. That would would explain so many things. Mm. Um, Well, you're wrong on so many of those uh, those things that you do. You're completely wrong on the boiling water.
1: Apparently. I've been told this numerous times, but that's how I make the best tea. You're not supposed to put boiling water on the tea. The other thing that
0: you should never do is put a tea bag in a mug and make it like that. You should make a pot yeah. of tea. Who's doing that, though, these days, really? I know. Well, I'm with you on the boiling water, and I'm with you in the bag in the mug. Um, and But, of course, now I'm going to boil the kettle and then wait a suitable amount of time. I don't, don't oh. know whether that was a suitable amount of time. I, <laughs> I got pause <laughs> just there, just just to
1: frighten people. Oh, what's wrong? It's gone off. <laughs> I thought you were going to demonstrate the amount of time you were going to wait. Well, I was, and then the I chickened out. <laughs> I'm going to wait this long. <laughs> um, but you're supposed to not
0: put boiling water on your tea bag, and you're supposed to put the tea bag into a teapot. But most of us don't do that, do we? But the hmm. thing about the milk, you put your milk in after the tea is steeped.
1: Yes. As would I. That's why right do, you, do why it. yes, but why do you do that? Because um, I've been making tea a long time. Yes, in various different ways. Indeed. And after about twenty-five years, that was the way I settled on because I found it made the best tea to my tastes. Right. You see,
0: I've been putting the milk in second after the water because I was always given to understand, and this makes perfect sense to me. That once the tea has steeped, you put in the amount of milk that you need to leave a nice caramel colour in your teacup. Yes? Yes. I like strong tea, so it's a dark caramel. But you see, it's got nothing to do, really and truthfully, this has got nothing to do with uh, the business of putting milk in your mug or your cup at all. Because if I I just take you by the hand and, and lead you back to the Victorian age... the practice of putting milk in first was to do with social class, nothing to do with taste. According to Fortnum and Mason, and I went this afternoon and I had a chat to Fortnum. Mason wasn't there. No, I had a chat to Fortnum. and I said, just explain to me. And Fortnum said low quality China cups in the past would crack when hot tea was poured into them. Mm. So, you see where I'm going here Mm -hmm. They put the milk in first It meant that your cups would stay intact Mm. But, when finer and stronger materials came into use There was no longer the necessity of putting the milk in first So it went in uh, last And it became a way of showing that one had the finest china on one's table
1: Uh, Of course only the finest china here.
0: Uh, and Evelyn Wall, the wonderful author, once recorded a friend using the phrase, rather milk in first, <laughs> to describe someone, she's rather milk in first, to refer to a <laughs> lower class person. And the habit became a social divider that had little to do with the taste of tea. Well, how about that? Well. I didn't. I, I knew nothing of that. I always always thought it was to do with, you know, whether you wanted your tea strong. You put your your milk in first. You never know how strong your tea's going to be. You know, then you've got to start decanting it into other bigger mugs. There's, um... (laughs) I went in search of a few other tea-related items. And uh, there's a fine book. The World in Your Teacup. Celebrating tea traditions near and far. Uh, author Lisa Bolt Richardson, who writes, At one time in the late 18th century, many believed that more tea was imported through illegal methods. I don't know whether
1: Lisa talks like this. I'm very much doubt Than
0: it. <laughs> through legal channels. So there was a lot of tea smuggling going on. To yeah. make matters worse, smugglers began compromising the purity of tea by mixing it with leaves from other plants, thus stretching wow. their supply and increasing their profits. They were cutting tea.
1: Yep. This is, I mean, it all sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it, when you uh, read about how they import various illicit materials these days.
0: The Colombians were 200 years behind. (laughs) These additives, which included twigs, sawdust, and even sheep dung,
1: this tea, is, it's awfully oh, like sheep, bloody dung. sheep dung. to me. Oh. Did you put the milk in second? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: anyway, in 1770, one village near London was quoted as producing more than 20 tonnes of adulterated material for supply to tea merchants. Their recipe was ash leaves, boiled with sheep dung for colour. In some cases, the adulterants were added for flavour As well as bulk. Mm. They were cutting their tea.
1: Well, 300 years ago, they were cutting their tea. Just goes to show that it's ever been thus. Shysters will shyster.
0: I'm a tea man. Just before I leave the tea, I just want, of course, I'm not a sugar man in tea. Are you? Honey. Honey. Oh, yes, you're you're a honey man. (laughs) I still can't get me around that. I've just, um, I've just, You've read Bob Mortimer's memoir, And Away! Uh, yeah. It's a nice well, look. A nice look. Book. Yeah. book. Uh, anyway, he writes that as a kid, do you remember how many sugars he had in his tea? Wasn't it like 14 or something ridiculous? 16 sugars in his tea. How um, was there room in the cup for any liquid? That's why. <laughs> <laughs> it but it did immediately. It took me back to uh, my childhood and a very good friend of mine who will remain nameless. We'll, keep, we'll call him Boy X. Boy X, Keith, um, <laughs> uh, and the very first time I took him round my grands, my grand said, "Oh, boy X, Keith, would you like a cup of tea?" And he mm. said yes. And she always had uh, a sugar bowl, not sugar cubes, loose sugar, yeah, of yeah. uh, and the sugar spoon. Mm. And he started ladling uh, sugar into his tea, and he had six spoonfuls of sugar. Wow. Any teeth in Keith? No, I don't think so. No, certainly not now. And I must have sat there like a rabbit in the headlights. And my gran could not believe what she was saying. And, mm. and my gran, you know, was not backwards at coming forwards. Mm. But she had no words for the <laughs> six spoonfuls of sugar that he put in his tea. Although later on she, she was retelling this story and she added the punchline to it. She was very good like this. She said he sat there he put six spoonfuls of sugar in his tea and then he said, "I oh, don't stir it up because I don't like it sweet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Got something you want to tell us? Email the far end of the bar at gmail.com or find us on Insta, Twitter or Facebook using the hashtag TFEOTB. What have you got over there? Well, I'd like to introduce you to what I hope will become a semi-regular feature. We've had those before. We've got a few now, and most of them have been long forgotten. But they'll come back. They'll just, you know, like um, leaves on the wind. They're nothing like leaves on the wind. But they'll come around every so often. I'll say, oh, do you remember that feature we did once? (laughs) It's become semi-regular. The regular feature we did once. So this one is called Stuff Tobias Has Said. And Tobias is uh, another new colleague of mine. Um, He won't let me use his real name. So I've used his middle name. Um, (laughs) So his middle name is Tobias. He's 21. Yeah. And he's one of those people that you meet in life. And within two minutes, we were friends and finding each other hilarious. I mean, me finding him hilarious more than the other way round. Anyway, I've got a few choice uh, things that he's said over the last few weeks I've made a note of.
0: Does he know that you are recording his every word and writing them down? Will he be your best buddy when he knows that you're stalking him and writing things down in a diary?
1: Yes, because we've negotiated this. This is how we've ended up calling him Tobias rather than his actual name. So, this first one just takes a little bit of uh, contextualising. I was... We'd moved into a new office. I was sitting in various chairs, testing out which one was the most comfy. Because when you get to our age, uh, you have to be very careful about the sort of chair you're sitting in, right? So, I found a chair, which was perfect. It was really comfy. I had the right support. It just had one small issue. There was a slightly dodgy-looking stain on the seat of the chair. That Ah. was all it was. So... Um, I said, I found my chair, look at it it's really, really very uh, supportive and everything um, and he said, well yeah, but what about the uh, the stain there? And I said well, if the chair is comfy then a stain is... and then I left a pause because I couldn't think of the word that I wanted to say. And Tobias completed my sentence for me if the chair is comfy, then a stain is imminent <laughs> 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 uh, A few days later we were out for a walk And um, he's a a well-spoken man, 21, very upright sort of a chap, uh, intelligent boy, and we were talking about something or another, and he turned to me and he said, you know, my street name is Big T. (laughs) He shouldn't have a street name. He's like the least suitable person to have a street name, and it is Big T. Uh, another time, we just happened to be in the toilets at the same time um, They're all cubicles where we work So, you know, you go in one cubicle And uh, he went in another cubicle, two or three uh, doors down yeah. And I'm uh, having uh, having a, a number one And I hear him say, um, do you sit down or stand?
0: <laughs> is he saying this to you or is he just generally broadcasting that to whoever
1: who might be might be in a cubicle? Just, I mean, it was just to me. He hadn't, uh, to my knowledge, he hadn't checked if there was anybody else in any of the other cubicles at the time. I think, luckily, there weren't. Um, This was just the other day. A lot of the work we do now is remote, so we're working from home and we're using Teams and video calls and all that sort of thing. Um, And I said, oh, Tobias, you're looking very uh, smart today. He said, yes, I've got a lovely new shirt. Isn't it great? He said, my new shirt makes me look like a ship or... A squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Um, a ship or a
0: squirrel. I mean, how do you get... I think we found the title for this week's episode, anyway. I think we have. A ship or uh, a squirrel. How do you
1: get from a ship to a squirrel? It's a, it's, his brain is an amazing thing. If anybody um, can do
0: that, incidentally, you can write to us.
1: you see how many uh, mo- movements it takes, how many words it takes to get from a ship to a squirrel? Uh, And finally, um, for this collection of stuff Tobias has said, um, we were asking him, uh, do you have any hidden talents? And his answer was, not really, no. I can walk quite well. Ah, very good. (laughs) And actually, I've walked with him, and that's not true either. (laughs) He's (laughs) naturally very clumsy. (laughs) Anyway, I will be collecting more things that Tobias has said and bringing them to you on a semi regular basis. Um, Should we do the pub quiz? Oh, yes, always up for a pub quiz. Okay, Um,
0: today's pub quiz is fact or fiction. Very simple. One answer from you. Fact or fiction? Moondust. Smells like gunpowder.
1: Ooh. Uh, uh, Moondust smells like gunpowder. I've heard that before, so Have I'm going to say fact. I'm just going to go straight with the answer this week. Okay. I don't, I don't feel the need to ruminate or cogitate. Fact. What would Tobias say? <laughs> Fact or fiction? <laughs>
0: question number two. Fact or fiction? Mm. We have the London plumber, Thomas Crapper, to thank for the flush toilet. Fiction. And question number three. Ooh, there was a... F- that was... Yeah. Mm. That was like mini rumination. Yeah, it was. It was. right. It was well you, you ruminate on this one. Question number three. Fact or fiction? Loofers
1: grow on trees Now, I happen to know that loofers are made from the sisal plant but what I can't remember is if that's a bush or a tree It's a plant, it must be a bush So, you're trying to trick me there and I'm going to say fiction Fiction,
0: okay, so you went fact, fiction fiction Yes, we'll come back, we'll do the answers very shortly
1: Let me take you through the boxing match that went on for a very long time indeed. Oh, right. Okay. Incredibly athletic sport, boxing. You have to be fit as a fiddle, right? Oh, oh yes.
0: Yes. You have to be a few other things as well. Very strong. and um, Yeah.
1: Stamina. Yeah. Um, Brave. great Speed, yeah. movement. And uh, the greatest boxers have speed of thought as well there. It, it helps if you don't bleed too easily. Yep, good. Uh, haemophiliacs need not apply. Uh, skin of leather, mm-hmm. so mace boxing matches last a certain amount of time, don't they? So, I think in the amateur uh game, I think they're three rounds, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. In yeah, the Olympics, um, then, they certainly are, yeah, yeah. And then you, you, you move up through uh to uh, I think they have nine rounds these days and 12 in the kind of world title fights. Used to I be 15, used to be 15, yeah, but um not so much anymore. So that can go on for a long time. I mean 12 3-minute rounds. 12 times 3 is a lot. 36. <laughs> so you're talking, you know, 40 45 minutes uh, with all the uh the parading round, the in between the rounds and everything. Anyway, this match in 1893, yep. Andy Bowen and Jack Burke took part in a lightweight boxing match. They were even lighter weight by the end of it because they'd lost over £10 each during the match. And it lasted for 7 hours and 19 minutes. Was this bare knuckle? It was bare knuckle, yep, way back then in those days, 1893, it was bare knuckle. My God, 7 hours of bare knuckle boxing. During the fight, Burke broke his wrists and still continued to fight until every bone in his hands were broken. Bowen sustained grave injuries to his head, but also refused to throw in the towel. And apart from the amazing feat of punishing their bodies for so many hours, surely the most impressive part of it all was their will to just keep carrying on for seven hours and 19 minutes. The referee called it a draw after that time because neither of them would quit. That would be disappointing, though, if you'd boxed for, if you'd beaten
0: seven bells out of your opponent for seven hours and then the referee says it's a draw.
1: I mean, there's got to be a limit, though, hasn't there? You've got to say, look, gentlemen, you can't use either of your hands properly and you've got grave head injuries.
0: I think if you said any of that, neither of them would have heard a word that you said, the, the ringing in your ears. When did you say this was? This was back in uh, 1893. Good lord. Seven hours of boxing. That's an awful And did they stop for a meal? <laughs> I don't actually know. I mean, they must have had some sustenance. They must have, because, you know, if, even if it was, um, you know, um, uh, an apple or something.
1: Mm. Oh,
0: an apple. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's two men in the ring beating
1: seven bells out of each it's other. So, now, come over here and have an apple. <laughs> I know, I know it's been five and a half hours, but I've had an apple. Let's go. <laughs>
0: oh, God. <laughs>
1: um, finally, then, this
0: week, we'll do the answers to our Fact or Fiction pub quiz. Yes. And we'll rattle through these because mm-hmm. I'm sure everyone will know the answers. Um, I first of all said to you, I, mean, I sounded a bit like Ken Dodd then. Oh, You did go oh, a bit hot. Ken Dodd. Yeah, I did. I don't bit high. Um, Moondust smells like gunpowder. You said... Fat. Only 12 people have walked on the moon, and they report that moon dust feels like walking in snow and smells like gunpowder. Yes. Now, obviously, they didn't take off their helmets on the moon's surface to smell the stuff, but it clings, and they brought it back into the capsule on their boots and on their suits. Uh, No one struck a match to find out whether it reacts like gunpowder, because (laughs) you wouldn't do that kind of thing. But uh, apparently... And, and ha- would you know what gunpowder smells like? Um, Firework night, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cordite. Well done. Fact. Good. So um, the second one, London plumber Thomas Crapper, is the man we should thank for the flush toilet.
1: Yeah. So I, I said fiction for this one because I'm sure it was. It became like an, an urban myth of sorts that, of, obviously, Thomas Crapper invented the toilet, but uh, the flushing toilet. But in fact, it was.
0: Thomas Crapper held nine patents, manhole covers, pipes, mm-hmm. drains, the ballcock the bullcock but he didn't invent the flush toilet, although his silent, valveless wastewater preventer was a flush loo. The patent wasn't his; it belonged to Alfred Giblin yeah. who filed and won the patent in eighteen nineteen but of course, everything had Thomas Crapper's name on it. yeah. So that's why it was called the crapper.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, right. Well, third... I didn't hear any of that. And as soon as you said that it was, uh, I was correct. That's all I heard. That's all you I wanted. got two out of two. Very, very the good. The rest of it, I didn't. Thank know you very much. Of. Lap of honour. <laughs>
0: and the third one, loofahs grow on trees. You said, <laughs> so, uh, I fiction. said fiction said because
1: fiction. it's a sizal plant, which is a bush, as far as I remember. Uh, that if one. you're
0: thinking they come from the sea, uh, you were thinking of a sponge. Loofers are a kind of gourd. Mm-hmm. They're uh, regarded as a tasty snack through Asia. They grow on vines, wrapped around trees, and are left to mature and turn brown. Then they're peeled and the insides become everyone's favorite bathroom back scrubber. So it is a fact. They grow on the vine that wraps itself around the tree. So loafers grow on trees. (laughs) Well, you did quite, quite well, really. And you got a cup of tea out of this week's episode.
1: Yeah, very sweet you though, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> too much sugar in that
0: 16 one. sugars for me, please. <laughs> but don't stir it up, because I don't like it sweet. <laughs> and that's about the length and length of it. Uh, until next time, it's uh, Reservoir.
1: Cheerio. That's time at the far end of the bar. You've been listening to Richard Lewis and Ben Orr. If you enjoyed your time with us, please don't forget to like and subscribe to make sure you catch the next episode. And find us on all the socials. Just search hashtag TFEOTB or email us at the, far end of the bar at gmail.com. Cheers!